Hey, I'm Jess O'Cullaghan, and this is the Audiocraft Podcast. You're about to hear a panel discussion called Stories and Squiggly Lines, all about the ways that technology is changing audio storytelling. What does emerging technology mean for the people crafting audio stories? And how is technology already changing how stories can work? Olivia Rosenman is at the helm. She's an audio producer and journalist and works with Google's Creative Lab, as well as being a producer with the investigative history podcast, History Lab. She's speaking with Sam Harron, a director and owner of Sampit. He's worked as creative director on numerous projects for clients including Google's Creative Lab and the Australian Children's Television Foundation. And joining them is Becky Sui-Chen, who produces audio experiences at museums and galleries with art processes and makes music within her music project, Sui-Chen. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for that generous uh, introduction and thanks everyone for coming to this session. Um, by way of a bit of background, for me the inspiration for uh, pitching this session to the conference was that I felt that in the past couple of years um, at AudioCraft, at Ozpod, at these kind of events, um, there's a lot of kind of like scary talk about technology and how it's going to take all our jobs and um, and I mean, I think it, it. I think it is, but it's going to take everyone's jobs. So that's all right. We'll all um, we'll all go down eventually. But I think there's also some interesting. Sorry, that was a bit dark. Um, I think that you know, I, there's there's some interesting and really cool stuff happening now. And I thought let's have a session um, and actually talk about it in a concrete way and a way where we can get excited about the technology rather than sort of being a bit scared about it. Um, and I am aware of people like Sam and Becky working in this sort of creative technology space. Um, and I think that there's a really great opportunities for audio makers to work together with creative technologists. Um, yeah, so I think we'll get started. I'm going to sort of separate uh, this session into three broad topics. We're going to just geek out over some technology for a bit and then we're going to talk uh, more broadly about non-linear narrative and how technology kind of enables um, and encourages that um, and then sound and space and how we can now do some pretty cool things uh, with situating sound in space and knowing where people are and what they're looking at and what we can do with those kinds of things. So we'll start with talking about technology and I thought we could each share an example of some ways we've used new or interesting tech with audio and storytelling. And Sam, I'm going to start with you. You've got some slides which I'm going to put up. Um, yeah, so um, Sampit's an experience design studio and so we're really interested in creating immersive experiences for audiences and visitors, which is about kind of taking technology and putting it into the physical world. And so I want to just quickly uh, talk about a project we did with Google's Creative Lab. And this was a, a very, very unusual and very kind of complex and fascinating and fun audio-driven project. So I'll just explain what you're seeing there. So this work was called Ghost, Toast and the Thing Unsaid. And uh, it took the form of a 20-minute live performance. And there were two audience members at a time. And you can see in the photo there are two people wearing a ghost sheet. They are the two audience members. And so to, to be in the show, you were a ghost. And as a ghost, you had a special power, which was you could read the thoughts of the performers when you looked at them. Uh, so this is a sense. So we actually had five live performers 
who were in the space and you as the audience were standing in the middle of the space. And so when you were reading the thoughts of the performers, what you were actually hearing was um, pre-recorded audio from those performers, which was an internal monologue of the character. In addition to this, there was also kind of live dialogue. So whenever the characters spoke out loud, they spoke out loud in the physical space. Um, so what we did is we put a whole bunch of technology that was hidden in the ghost costumes that delivered um, this audio. And, and here you can see the performer also had a little in-ear monologue, uh, sorry, an in-ear uh, sort of device so that they could understand the context of the audio. Um, so this was a really, really interesting medium because the, and it kind of covers the, it touches on the three themes that Olivia's outlined because uh, it kind of meant that each audience member got to kind of define what they heard because most of the time there was very little live dialogue. So you made a decision about who you looked at in the space. If you want to go there, all right, so the next thing, so just because we love to make our lives very, very fascinating, very complex, the story we decided to tell was the story of two characters. And we wanted to tell the, the, the story of, the, of that, a relationship across time. So you saw on the previous photo, there were five actors. So there, was a t there were different time zones um, and you were in their house, basically. So you, there were characters who were located in the 1950s, in the 70s and in the 90s simultaneously. And so what you could do uh, as the audience member is you could navigate the sort of the mystery that was going on in this relationship um, through understanding different timeframes of the relationship. This mental script that you're looking at is how we had to look at structuring the work, which was we had to write a script where there were basically six layers. Um, and most of the dialogue um, that you can see up in that script represents the pre-recorded audio. So this was the, um, the internal thoughts of each of the, the characters. Um, however, because it all happened live and simultaneously, whenever someone would speak out loud, we wanted the, that Loud, out loud dialogue to make contextual sense inside each of the internal monologues of the characters. So we had to do some really, really tricky timing where we went at five minutes and 30 seconds, the phone is going to ring. So the phone ringing has to be acknowledged and make sense in the internal monologue. So that um, was playing out in live time. So what we had to do and without going into too many details, was, was some very, very tricky kind of structural planning where we could kind of get the sort of satisfying payoff where things that happened live in the moment um, would make sense with the internal monologue that you might be uh, listening. And we didn't know what one the audience would be listening to. Um, this is just a bit of a sense of the technology of how we had to sort of manage this. So as you can see here, we, we kind of developed a, a kind of dashboard that had uh, the audio layers of each of the characters. Um, and you can see here that there's these little circles that have um, little degrees in them. And so this was basically around where the performers were located in space. Um, so we would have to sort of um, have kind of key points where the sound, the sound layers would kind of map and move with the performers as they moved in the space. And yeah, and this was done by basically taking smartphones and uh, developing software and then basically hiding them. So the audience members had these devices that were hidden in the ghost costume and then we knew where they were. And then we um, had uh, the, uh, our controls. This was the, the stage manager kind of controlling the audio for the show. Um, and uh, the performers basically had a version of this for them. So 
yeah, this has heaps of stuff in it and I'm sure there's lots that I can unpack, but I felt this was a, a great kind of example of the various themes that we've been talking about. And I, uh, we could definitely spend a whole session talking about it, but you're feel free to attack Sam um, in the <laughs> afternoon tea break if you've got more questions. So, Becky, you are going to tell us about, is it the PDF? I, I wanted to give the... Uh, the diagrams and a little applause. They're very <laughs> pleasing to look at. Oh, thank you. <laughs> also, um, I thought it was interesting, Sam just mentioned his theatre directing background and it's interesting to uh, sit here and um, see how that translates into your approach to technology, whereas my um, music background and like being a producer as well and how that influences my, <laughs> my like similar but different very technical, but I wanted to break it down. Um, so the project this is is for the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Been working with them for a while. They wanted to redefine what the possibilities of their audio delivery platform could be. So like redefine what audio guides could be in a gallery. Um, and you know we kind of blank slate started with like you could have a live music performance. You could have like a podcast. You could have. Or you could have a location aware app that gives you, you know, spatially relevant audio content. And what is that content? Um, how to make that interesting? My lame examples here was to sell them on this concept. Um, I was working within the paradigm of what I knew the company I work um, for, Art Processors, already had built, which was like a, a basic audio engine that talks to a location engine um, that sits within an iOS app. So. Um, I don't know if any of this will make sense. So anyway, so basically this is, if people have audio editing, some kind of background, this is hopefully translating. So we can deliver three kinds of audio as relevant to your location in the space. There'll always be an atmosphere track. There may be a seagull, oh, sorry, there may be a sound effect track that may be a seagull. And then there also may be a narr narrative and the hierarchy is the narrative sits on the top and the atmosphere can be anything. Could be music, could be... Uh, a drone, it could be whatever, you, however you want to appropriate that. And so this is an example um, of the visitor and I'm pretty sure the colours correspond. So they should, so that the great, the kind of diagonal lines, that's where you would hit like the atmospheric tracks and there would always be one playing. And if you go into the bigger pink circle, yeah, I think, and then you would um, roam into a sound effect region. So you would trigger like a shorter sample, usually maybe 15 seconds or something. Um, ocean waves in a gallery of seascapes, for example. And then if the little orange ones are um, uh, like a narrative. So if the curator wanted to have like a specific bit of information that they wanted to communicate, then you could walk up to that and get that. And this is all auto-playing off a device. So there's no screen time. You don't have to look at it. We did make the screen look pretty nice, but you, it's kind of conflicting with the kind of imperative of being in an art museum is to like draw into the art. So we wanted to just focus on using the... Um, app and the iPod touch so that's still that, that the app is on as a delivery tool only and not as like a conflicting competing visual thing. And and then you can see just this the kind of function very basic functionality like cross fading. Um, the sound effects can sit on top of the atmosphere tracks, they don't interrupt that. Um, but there's a seamless crossfade as you walk into different gallery rooms. So each gallery room had a different theme and that would um, speak to the curatorial themes or whatever else the curator wanted to communicate within that particular space. Um, this thing is called My Mother's Kitchen and it's sort of an experiment in nonlinear storytelling. Um, the tech aspect of this is actually quite uh, simple 
to look at. I didn't build it, but it was apparently incredible, incredibly complicated to build. Um, but it's sort of like, uh, I mean, I can describe it, but actually I can just show you. Um, so it only works on the phone, which is why I'm doing this complicated thing. I definitely made my own school lunches. So they were always pretty basic. And sometimes I, we wouldn't have food. I would go to school and I didn't have anything to eat. And um, I would often do dares in exchange for food, you know, eat a piece of paper and then someone would give me half of their sandwich and things like that. So I was very resourceful, but I get annoyed that I have to eat food, that there are so many processes associated with it, that I have to make a list, then I have to go to the shop, I have to go shopping, then I have to pay for it, then I have to prepare it, then I have to eat it, then I have to digest it, then I have to clean up after it. I'm just like, it's every single step of that I am not interested in and I feel really resentful that we have to eat at all. And so me trying to imagine anyone enjoying cooking <laughs> is quite a stretch for me um, and imagining my mum having a thousand things to do and one of them, you know, being cooking. No, I don't imagine that was enjoyable. Uh, so it was made in collaboration with Queer Stories, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's a monthly, I think, live storytelling um, night in both Sydney and Melbourne and I think a few other cities. So um, I had the immense privilege of working with these Queer story storytellers who, and I sat down with them for an hour or more and they told me stories about their childhood kitchen. Um, and then those stories are kind of distilled into little micro stories and placed on a um, floor map of their kitchen that they drew and the idea is you kind of play this game and hear stories about their kitchen um, and for me I think it was an interesting experiment in sort of um, seeing if I could recreate this amazing experience I had in, in talking to them I think you can learn so much about someone um, talking about their childhood kitchen it's very interesting and could I recreate that kind of feeling, that sense of their childhood in this kind of game-like structure without any chron chronology and letting people being totally in charge of the way that they move around the story? I'd like to ask you guys some sort of broader questions. Um, when do you think that like, or how do you make a decision about when some sort of technological aspect adds to a story or a storytelling experience um, and, and when it's just a gimmick? Yeah, it's really important that like all technology is viewed as a kind of tool and an, an equal tool to any other established tool that we use in any medium. And I think it's very, very easy to get seduced with novelty. We really have to go like, does the tool achieve something that's interesting for the, the story you're trying to tell or the experience that you're trying to generate? And I think a lot of what we're, we're doing at Sandpit is it's wanting to sort of place technology in a in a way where often it's invisible or when it's doing its job you're actually not very aware of it. and I think maybe our processes are similar as well so it, in a funny way it's about getting the technology to enable something where it kind of disappears is a good test of when it's working yeah yeah I would agree um Actually, just, just a, a little minor seg. In contrast to that, I've just been working on an exhibition um, I've mentioned to a few people um, at Mona that has um, it's delivered off the O device. Um, I don't know if people are familiar with that. At Mona, it's like the interpretive guide there. And we're delivering for one exhibition an augmented reality experience off of these iPod touches that are like eight years old and they can't accept AR kit, which is the latest AR framework. So we have to use a software called Wikitude from 2008. <laughs> and it's like 2019. Anyway, so in that sense, 
the actual limitations of the tech. This is the one where art processes has broken this invisible technology thing, and the artist has embraced the technology and had to make these um, AR markers front and center because um, we had to own the, you know, own, to own and embrace it. But like generally, the 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 it was kind of challenging for some of the developers I was working with because they're like, you know, they're, they're kind of like brains are exploding a bit. Yeah, so in some ways, if it wasn't an artist's work, that particular exhibition, it could be totally gimmicky. But um, but he's making comment on obsolescence of technology. So he's making comment on that specifically. So that's a very unique case, I think. Yeah. I think, uh, Becky, you also mentioned something uh, with that Art Gallery of New South Wales app and how you, you made the screen look pretty but ideally it wasn't a screen-based experience and I think for me that's one of the really exciting things about the development of a lot of these technologies is that it does mean we can just like put the screen away into our pocket and it does so we're not looking at these horrible things all the time and um but also increases that magic feeling that you were talking about and I think that's a really amazing benefit. Yeah totally yeah because like Screen time is such a um, topical thing, I guess, and even that there's a measure of screen time now in iOS anyway, so you can see how gross you've yeah. been. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting because I think it was important to make it look really nice and feel very well considered as well, but then not expect people to look at it. There's, there's also all sorts of other technical implications of using the screen throughout an experience like this, which is um, a really practical issue of like battery life for some of these yeah. devices. So when you're like servicing a whole museum, like at, at Mona, there's like a thousand iPods, um, the battery life drains really quickly. And as you, as everyone would know, like from having any mobile technology, um, so you, ma you imagine using all these like um, really like system heavy kind of CPU heavy kinds of technologies and then the drain on the battery and then you then you're really not you're breaking the invisible thing there because you're getting yeah. stupid alerts and stuff <laughs> like that so yeah. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think also like in your example, Becky, and the work that I think we do as well, like often what we're trying to do is make an, um, an immersive experience for someone that makes sense of the space they're in. And so in a way you don't want to, like the worst thing you can do in a gallery where there's this amazing work is like kind of distract people with looking at this sort of screen that's so highly pedestrian in our lives. And as mm. you've just said, is like, you know, we're now trying to actually quantify that more for ourselves. So it's also about going, this, this technology is there to kind of make something way more kind of fascinating and engaging and compelling for someone um and that's about it yeah yeah um, totally agree like what you said before what i was saying about coming back to technology as a tool and um in your example there I can totally see like the the device is used as a tool and it's hidden in that experience and what i showed you was like functionality diagrams but not actually you know, I was just showing how it is a tool as well. Um, I should also mention that there was another location engine that uh, using Bluetooth technology that you can tell where the visitor is or where their device is in that space as well. So yeah, it is, they're both like, we've just described how we're, we're using them as, as tools. And I, I could even see in your example too, how that kind of, that could be executed in a multitude of ways, that the kind of way it's almost like a, a blueprint for how to have that non-linear storytelling in that sense too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's a great segue there. So let's let's talk about non-linear narrative because I think, you know, whether we like it or not, we are moving to a world of atomized content, on-demand content. We want to decide when, where and how and in what order we consume things. 
And and I want to talk about what what does this mean for storytelling? You know, podcasting or radio is sort of a, this very true model. This model where you kind of have a beginning and an end to something, and you're expecting uh, the listener hopefully to listen the whole way through. And um, but yeah, I think nonlinear storytelling is really interesting and really challenging to grapple with. Um, and uh, I mean, let's start. Are there any really good or really bad examples of non-linear narrative or storytelling that you guys have seen? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that there's <laughs> there's there's definitely both in those categories. And I think um, like we in the notes for this, we're going over. Oh, like everyone's probably familiar with Netflix's Bandersnatch, which is sort of a uh, kind of choose your own adventure kind of narrative. And so uh, we're seeing a point where kind of the delivery of technology is getting sophisticated enough. It can kind of fairly elegantly enable um, that kind of interaction. And I think, uh, I mean, there's a question in my mind too about like, well, why, why, why are we interested in this or why is this a thing? And for me, it has something to do with what kind of the origins of storytelling and kind of in what happened in, ostensibly the 20th century where we had broadcast media. So if you think about kind of storytelling, kind of pre-broadcast media, it was this sort of active conversation. If you're in a, you know, Shakespearean theatres were all kind of boisterous and, you know, there's a sense that the the audience was very present. And then, uh, you know, film and television and radio were about a a one-way street of like, here's information kind of at you. And that was a mode kind of until the internet came around really and with the rise of YouTube and this idea that suddenly the audience could um, kind of have a bit more activity and voice in what it, uh, in it having a, a kind of say. So I think part of the interest in interactivity is it kind of connects to some of the origins of being involved in a story where it's only a brief time really where the audience was this sort of passive inactive entity who, whose presence didn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I think I think that's part. Anyway, that's a bit of con- that's a bit of context that I think is maybe interesting as to why why are people interested in these forms? And I guess they're they're good at doing kind of particular things. And maybe what Bandersnatch is kind of playing with a kind of meta idea of like how how sadistic are you going to play around with genre? Like how are you going to keep on going down this sort of bleak dark path? Um, yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up. We yeah, I mean we kind of discussed this as an example. Um, you know, I think often people hear nonlinear narrative and they go, oh yeah, okay, choose your own adventure. And I mean, the technology behind Bandersnatch, Bandersnatch is no different than the choose your own adventure books that you read when you were eleven or however old you. Were. I can't remember. I loved those books, but these are still narratives with lines there's just more of them and I think it's for me sort of you know this my mother's kitchen thing was an interesting thing to make because I I did do these interviews where I didn't say tell me from when you were three to when you you know we just I just said just can you tell me some memories and getting them to draw um and and things came up and one memory sparked another memory so it was actually um you know it was quite it was a, a great way to really uh sort of enact that non-linear, non-linearity, if that's a word. But um, for me, one of the hardest things about about it is you've really got to relinquish control. You, you aren't in control of everything the audience member or the listener is going to hear. They might not, they might just hear a little bit of it. They're not going to hear it in the order you want them to. Um, and, and that was like very hard. Like, have you guys, how do you feel yeah. about that? I was just kind of thinking about... Um Again, like coming back to like theater, theater background, and then like game, interesting game, and like 
uh, me, I guess it, without processes in that context, it, it was like a, a response to delivering stuff to people that are moving around in the space, so you couldn't, so they are in control, so you don't want to prevent them from naturally like navigating around a gallery space. So the technology has to be flexible, flexible for whichever pathway they take. And there's these like things that they're avoiding, like there might be a crowd of people around an artwork, so they can't get to that point, so they have to go this way. So you have to make a tool that can work with people moving around the way they do that. And then like thinking about your approach, again, the theatre thing of like fully immersive space, like, and so you're using space in a kind of different way in that sense. And then, Olivia, the, the game kind of approach too. It's, it's quite interesting. So then I think um, on a personal project I'm working on for my album that's coming out. Probably shouldn't talk about it yet. But anyway, I haven't finished the project. That's why. But I, I'm trying to make something that embraces a nonlinear kind of delivery of video files. But I don't want, that, that I don't want the people to know that it's that. So, now I've just given away the secret. But anyway, <laughs> the point the point is that like it's interesting because in that sense it can be you you're, you as the maker giving away the control, um, giving it to the audience member. But in something I'm working on, I am doing that. But they don't know that it's it's. Do they know that? Are you giving? Mm. Are you making them aware of the choices that they're making? But or not? why don't you want them to know? Um, because uh, now everybody knows in this room. Um, because then they can each have their a unique experience and they like, talk about it. And I want the intent of the project is that it feels like a dream or a memory, so that people will be confused. Like, did you see that thing? No, no, it was that color. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that I think that really connects. That like what you've described there. I feel there's a real connection to the ghost project that I was showing you before, where it was basically a narrative experiment to go. Dependent on what information you would hear, your reading of what was going on would be radically different. And we intentionally designed a story where you could ha ha have a particular attitude or opinion of a character based on what you did or didn't know. And so what was fascinating was that we it was really up to the audience. Like some people would come in and they would move between characters just constantly and they would like spend like 10 seconds with one person and then jump over there. Other people would go like, I'm just going to stay with someone for like five minutes. And so we had to try and design something on a kind of dramaturgical level where the, all of those scenarios could sort of work. And like what's interesting for me as a director of the show, it was basically impossible for me to re-experience the show again in the same way, which basically like never happens in theatres. Normally the exact opposite is like, I'm going to see the show again. Yep, it'll be like the 40th time. I just watch it again. But this is like, actually, I can't. I can't because my own behaviour in each run of the show would, something would happen. I was like, oh, I need to like see what that person's up to. So that... Yeah, is I think it's it's really great to hear you describe it like that because when I hear you say that, I go, well, I mean, actually, that's that's life. That's how we go through life, meeting other people and understanding our friends and family. We never have all the information as much as we might think we like to. So this is probably like a very obvious observation, but you know, it is in some ways it's weird or maybe it's not weird, maybe it makes perfect sense that we've developed this kind of storytelling where, you know, there is a story that you follow um, and, and it is it is the truth of that story. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, so I, I want to make sure there's some time for questions so it might feel like we're kind of zipping through, um, but let's move on. Let's talk about locative audio or spatial audio or sort of a combination of both. We want to talk about the ability to situate sounds um, 
in a, in a virtual reality around a listener as well as the ability to know exactly where a listener is and exactly what they're looking at and what kind of magic um, we can we can deliver with that um, as creepy as it sounds um, and you know just to demystify that if if that sounds like weird and and um, nonsensical I mean it's basically all of these uh, experiences are really often just uh, using the GPS in your mobile phone so a lot of it is you need the phone on you um, and then to understand where you are in a room and what you're looking at it's actually using the camera from your phone so a lot of um, the problems and you'd be familiar with this uh, that we have working at the creative lab is how do we get a phone um, on someone in a way that the camera so the camera needs to be able to see the room um, and not move too much. And so they're sort of these hilarious, you know, sticking them to the back of someone's head or around a lanyard there or maybe like a some sort of shoulder, um, which is a lot of fun. But it's funny that we're, we are using um, – it's, it's all basically using these amazing computers that we carry around uh, in our pocket. So, um, Becky, I think you had – there was more slides I was going to show, right? Uh, so Bluetooth. So yeah. So there's those options of um, G GPS um, cameras. There's the ways to um, determine a visitor's or a device location within within a space. Um, there's also like um, low en low energy Bluetooth technology used in conjunction with Bluetooth beacons. The point is that you can tell people's location through multiple multiple ways and and it's rapidly changing. So iPod touches, like I was just saying, that they, they were they were not having the latest technology. Apple wasn't updating them for a really long time. And and now they've just announced in the last week, I think, a new iPod, which I, I think may be able to do AR kit and all this stuff, which is interesting because um, I think Mona were the biggest client of Apple demanding them to keep making the iPod <laughs> and the projects. So it's kind of funny that they were they were like, nah, this is not worthwhile. And then they were ordering like having to order new fleets of like thousands. You know, like but it's a very expensive tool. There's gotta be better ways, like than having like a a whole computer. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind at some point sharing about another location project that uses a whole other kind of tech that's comparatively a lot cheaper. Yeah. Do you so want to do, do that, that now? Yeah, so, okay, so we, um, we did this project. Um, it was at the Art Centre in Melbourne and we, the commission was to make a work for children and families that would be inside the foyers of the Art Centre in Melbourne. And, and for people who don't know the space, it's really big and sprawling. There's multiple theatres. And it's actually like a public civic space that people can go into, but they sort of don't realise it. it feels a bit kind of alienating and cold. We went into the space to try and come up with some ideas and we realised there were all of these lamps that are all identical, that look exactly the same and they're all... Uh, next to these lounges that are all the same. We went, oh, that's really interesting. What if we made like a story experience where the lamp the lamp could be a character and maybe the lamp could kind of come to life and the lamp could talk to you? And then we went, well, what if we could control the light bulb? So when it speaks, the light bulb kind of pulses. And so we went, oh, that could, that could be this really, really great kind of like location-based story experience. And so the way that we delivered that, because we wanted to go out to the magic of the, the lamp comes to life, is we used a technology called NFC, which is basically like what's in PayWave. It's a little chip that's a sensor. 
So we made a story book um, that was called The Story of Lamp. And this book was sort of an illustrated book that you were given and you could read. And it would physically tell you part of the story and then guide you to a location to sit next to a lamp. And the lamp would then, when you placed the book next to the lamp, there was a little invisible sensor and the lamp would come to life. And and so that was an audio project where it was a narrated story and uh, – a kind of composition that was then you, you heard in the various locations. And what we what we tried to do there was make sense of the specific locations. Like, why am I hearing... It's a question we always ask ourselves at Sandpit with audio. It's like, why is it interesting for me to hear this thing in this location? And I don't know if that's implicit to your work as well. Like, why am I hearing this because of the location? So we tried to build things that acknowledged all the surrounding things in each of those spaces. But that's a way – so that's sort of not using a smartphone at all. In fact, it's very, very lo-fi and it's like these printed things that have a little hidden chip in them. So there are ways too that you can kind of think about audio existing in a physical space that doesn't have to be solely reliant on a smartphone. It's just one tool or technology that can be used. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of uh, – I really love uh, in some museums, you know, they have the, like the little sound cone where – and like – it's surprisingly effective. It's literally just a little funnel that, I mean, you step in, you step out and you can't hear it. And that's super lo-fi, but really effective. Um, now I do want to have some questions if there are any. So, um, yeah, are there any? There's some? Okay. There's a couple. Great. Thanks for that. That was super, super interesting. Um, so your work all involves looking to the future and imagining what might be possible Next, what are some of the technologies or devices or um, platforms that you're excited to experiment with next? I think it's really, and Becky's kind of mentioned it as well, like one of the things that's moving really, really quickly with um, both iOS and Android is um, augmented reality. And the, the devices are just like within a year or two, they've just leapfrogged into this whole space. And I think that's it just, it, it's really interesting, I think, for, for practitioners like us because our work is really interested in location and basically AR is about really under, having a really good understanding of where you are in a space. That's kind of what it does. Um, and so its primary use, you know, often we think about it as, you know, AR games or, um, but, you know, AR can, that's a tool that I think can do really interesting things that a visual can do, really interesting things that an audio can do. There's any number of things it can do. So I guess that that's really exciting to see that evolve and become this work really well on more and more devices that people just have in their pocket. Yeah, I think specifically with AR, um, Bose has just released this set of sunglasses that have a really directional, you're not, yeah, I think like they've, they're actually, they've been out for a little while now. Um, but I think they have this really, this a very directional uh, speaker um, and they also have a microphone so they can kind of respond to the sounds around you and they can link up with apps in your phone to use the GPS and there's like a nine um, axis motion sen sensor so they can kind of get a sense of where your head is looking at. Um, but I think all that to say, I think AR, like so VR, like we all got very excited about VR and then I think there's something, you know, you're kind of taken into this, It's you know, that immersive experience can be really great but I think I'm much more excited about augmented reality and the ability to add virtual audio layers without removing you from the real world or the real audio kind of space that you're in really excites me. Yeah, I'm like, this is going to sound super dark, but like, I'm like not excited about it. I like <laughs> really about anything. I actually, as in, when, when it comes to technology, I mean, I kind of like really like to not work with technology, yet I work at, in creative technology. 
like I, I kind of like it when it becomes a bit redundant and then it's like, cool, now I can have fun with this because I'm not trying to keep up with the times and be cutting edge and don't have to answer that question of gimmickiness and there's a whole big like ethics and like what is the purpose, why does this need to exist this way? But so I get kind of a bit freaked out. But that, I mean, that's I think that's why I also work in the space too, because then it's like the ones that I work on would obviously have a very clear purpose. But um, yeah, it's hard to say because I kind of just it all makes me a bit anxious and nervous. <laughs> and I'm like, great, I'm gonna have to work with a whole another set of developers now. <laughs> cool. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Nothing against that at all. <laughs> Did you want to add something, Sam? Or? Just to make a comment on that, which <laughs> you, or a comment on the idea that something can be just as fascinating that's a cutting-edge technology as using an old technology. We did a, a storytelling um, project, which was a, an old kind of like it was a, a old kind of like 1950s phone booth, and it was we worked with Penguin and it was working with Penguin's authors. The idea was that you could pick up you picked up the phone and you heard John Safran, who was our operator, and then he was like, "Oh, I've got a whole bunch of authors on the line. Like, press a button and you can hear from them." And we had Maggie Beer and uh, Graham Bass and a whole bunch of people who would tell these little anecdotal personal stories from their life. And so, what was really interesting about that was it was this very kind of interactive, kind of unusual format, and it was very kind of intimate and, and but it was also using this very, very old school. Like you actually don't, we don't spend that much time on the phone picking on like pay phones anymore. So part of the part of the interest there was sort of taking this sort of older interface that everyone kind of knows how it works, but putting tech inside that to do something. Yeah, I think that's a really cool example, and I think that's yeah, I think it's it's. I didn't mean to be so silly before, but I think it's more about the point of like it really needs to have a purpose because. It's also interesting when you're operating at this like fast in this kind of space that does move quite quickly and things become much less interesting as like a practitioner, I guess, for all of us, um, when they suddenly arrive at consumer level and then it's like, you know, you can get Snapchat filters that are really interesting and great. So then it becomes less interesting to work in that space as like... Uh, yeah, it, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, so if I... From an artist's perspective, like, why would I make a snap? chat filter if everyone can do that themselves that's not really using their technology um in a challenging or innovative way then if it's if it's already in the hands of so many people so i'm um cautiously interested around augmented reality i've just worked on an ex i've just produced a project with it um you know, I'm, yeah i'm kind of no it's it's very cool in that in this uh, um in this exhibition that i've like it it Really, like they they won me over in the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, cool. I get it now. But um, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm a little, you know. I I guess my my reaction is because like you put on VR goggles and I'm instantly shut off from the reality. And like you know, it's just that kind of dystopian kind of thing of like all this other. Uh, it, it happens in at the adverse of um, like environmental destruction and all this kind of stuff. And then you're like, cool, we can escape that. But I also think that's what's so great about um, sort of the potentials of audio augmented reality. So often we're looking at our phones for some visual information um, that could be, you know, very quickly and easily delivered via audio. And, and if it can actually stop this like constant looking away from people and away from the world um, and kind of keep us a bit more present. I mean, maybe it starts to distract us in a whole nother weird way but I do like that it can take us away from the screens I, I love it for that too I think I kind of lean in more to audio because it's definitely more of my passion so we're still answering your question yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should alright another there was another question just whoever gets the microphone speak 
hello. Thanks very much for a very interesting session. Um, so while I was watching it, I realized that the way that I tend to uh, interact with interactive stories and immersive stories is through video games and com computer games. And I was curious, are there things in that sector that you find interesting and inspiring that you could bring into your world or is it completely separate in your mind? No, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously the the game of my mother's kitchen um, is is sort of that, but not really. But I, I kind of know what you mean. The, the idea of um, exploring, I don't really play those games and that's probably for you it's like very obvious, like this is the same thing. You're just exploring a world without. Um, but yeah, I think I think there are a lot of similarities, but I don't know. I mean, and, and I guess I would ask you back the question, how how good is the storytelling? Like this is what I'm sort of excited about, these two worlds coming together is you've got, you know, like this whole conference full of amazing storytellers um, and then, you know, it's so maybe bringing the creative technology and audio makers world together could make some really cool stuff. But I don't know, like is, is there any really great storytelling in any games that you play? You're nodding. Okay. Oh, yeah, loads. Um, <laughs> so I think indie, especially in indie games, uh, which tell more singular stories. I mean, I'm thinking about games I've played in the last couple of years, like Firewatch or Oxenfree or um, Undertale is another one, which actually, you know, kind of plays with the genre, uses the, the medium in a way to tell, help tell the story, but also tells quite personal stories. It's not, you yeah. know, pure guns and fantasy anymore, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, the commonality of, I guess, that kind of, like, gaming environment and some of the work that we're doing is there's a sort of autonomy given to you as the audience where you get to you're making a set of decisions um, that kind of inform how something plays out or how you might encounter part of it and um, you know obviously games have by definition as a game there tends to be a goal or a way that the thing that you do that is part of achieving the game and sometimes the stuff that we're doing isn't necessarily a game in that way, but it, it's got a, a set of similarities where um, what what the individual does um, defines how the experience can play out and how the story is designed and told. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think maybe like when I think of video games, I think like m like of um, like multi layer like cinematic kind of storytelling with like all these different pathways but it's a fully immersive world that exists and that you enter into but you're in one lo physical location when you're doing it and you yeah you've got a lot of autonomy and control in that situation and agency and then i guess some of the stuff that we've talked about in this session is more like responding to this existing environment like a physical space and um, so the kind of game logic you can introduce there is limited by how much, I guess, other things you can control in that space. Like, theoretically, I think I'm super interested in games, but again, I maybe I don't have time to play them or something. And then the ones that I've enjoyed are, like, the weird ones that I can't even explain what was game-like about it. It was, like, the really nice ambient sounds and I'm, like, pointing a circle at a square or something and then <laughs> I go into that and then it's, like, a, a nice scene and I'm like, oh, this is cool. And, that like... I like those ones. They don't have any words. Like, that's, that's cool. Hi, everybody. Um, my name's Hamish, and I've been working in this area for about five years now uh, in regional Australia. And I'm curious that all three of you are talking about uh, immersive technology, which is working inside. But I think what I'm not hearing from you is the way in which stories connect to places and the way in which places themselves can embody mm. a range of really interesting narratives, particularly in a place like Australia, where I think we're so stripped of that sense of history that resides within places. Mm. 
And I'm curious to know um, where you think sort of simulation finishes and the embodied and immersive experience begins. Well, that could be a good segue to talk about a project that both Sampit and Art Processes worked on together, which was um, we did a project that was at Melbourne Zoo. And so it very much was about going, making a visitor experience that happened after hours uh, on site at the Melbourne Zoo. And the idea was about trying to create uh, an experience which is about connecting getting you to meditate on your place in the natural world um, and to think about your own kind of animalness and how humans fit into an animal kingdom, I guess. And so that um, when we made that work, it was very much about going, what does it mean to have an experience because zoos, zoos are really quite remarkable. If you go there when there aren't people around, they they really kind of transform and the animals have a completely different awareness of you in the space. And yeah, that, that was an example of a project where all the content, everything we were trying to do was very much about the very particular narratives of those spaces, of those animals, the stories. We were telling stories that were very specific to some of those animals and, and use them as kind of provocations to think about our, ourselves. Yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a really good point um, as well. There's another project that came to mind when you mentioned that, Hamish. Um, I worked on this project for Uni of Melbourne last year that was uh, called Awaken, and it's still running actually um, in the Arts West Gallery um, as AR and VR, which sounds like, again, for someone like me, I'm like, okay, and it's dealing with um, indigenous cultural belongings, and I'm like, what the hell is the point of that? Like, seriously, I was really questioning, I'm really worried, I'm like, why are we doing this? Is this going to be like, oh God? And then I, you know, I, I was very happy to learn that there was like a really great, um, Genevieve Grease was working on it as a curator, um, and Genevieve curated um, the First Peoples exhibition at Melbourne Museum. So there was a good team around it and that they engaged uh, community members and First Nations curators from Cape York, Arnhem Land and um, Pintupi. And so the idea was like it's really kind of tenu- – it's really quite sensitive still. So there was a whole collection of objects, the Donald Thompson collection that was, you know, in the museum archives uh, for – I think 40 years or something like that. I'm not exactly sure on the date, but like a family had left this whole collection and this Donald Thompson had befriended a lot of community members and collected these artifacts and and they'd never been returned back to the families or the communities. And so part of the idea of the project was to, okay, so let's 3D scan these objects in super high res and then you can see it on an iPad app in augmented reality and then that should be taken out to country and then they can interact... It's, it's so convoluted, but like the, there was a really positive intent and um, alongside that, so you get to see the objects outside of the case basically because they had to be kept in a really dark environment. And then alongside that, there was like a VR experience that had 360 footage of the actual country locations that, that linked back to where that particular object was being used. And so, you, you know, you, you, it's quite convoluted. Like you have to sit down. It's quite a few steps, but people were generally like interested in that. And when we did the consultation with community afterwards, it was like obviously the question com- comes back, but these aren't actually being repatriated. So like what is the, I mean, very appreciative of like being able to see the objects for the first time. And there's this debate around objects or belongings. There's like all this terminology stuff. And then off the back of that, we also created a whole nother, ob- like a whole nother uh, object, which is actually really sensitive. So there's like ongoing discussions with Melbourne Uni about how to, archive that or respectfully deal with that now there's a replica and if it was 3d printed that would be really 
not okay and so it's so it's so interesting i was super interested i'm, I'm still working on that project and, and we've sent another um so and what i what i found most rewarding about that was like giving the arming the um the curators that i was working with with the technology I, you know don't care what quality it comes back let's just see and that's the whole point you know that's the whole point and people are really afraid of like uh, there was one person on my team who I had to manage who was like, it's not the best quality, blah, blah, blah. You can see that their bag is in it. I'm like, dude, get over it. <laughs> so it's like, that's really like, you know, you have to you have to challenge those things. You're like, yeah, but but it's coming from the community and it's true to that. It's, I still don't think it's very, it's perfect at all, but I think it was a really interesting like stepping stone to like what, how can we use this technology with, um, and oh, the other issue is like, iPads connectivity and battery life out in regional mm -hmm. <laughs> areas and places that don't have any any network um, stuff like that. Yeah. I think one other thing that I've certainly come up against in some ideas that I've kind of tried to pitch is that the technology, like in terms of Australia and especially with like a lot of indigenous storytelling that's very connected to places outside outside of buildings, um, is that it's actually it's very hard to get. I think this is going to change quickly like as we've said that working in this space it, everything changes very fast but it's very hard to get technology these kind of location based or 3d mapping to work outside in in natural environments you're shaking your head do you think it it is okay i mean yeah that's i mean that's not been my experience but yeah i'd love to have a chat with you uh, about it afterwards but i think we are out of time unfortunately thank you very much and thank you sam and thank you becky thank you That was Olivia Rosenman, Becky Sui Chen and Sam Harron. Thanks to Tegan Nichols for recording this session. The Audiocraft podcast is produced and mixed by Ryan Pemberton and the music is produced by James Milsom. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Audiocraft podcast. New episodes from 2019's festival will appear in your feed every week and there's a whole back catalogue of audio advice for you to explore. If you liked hearing about how tech is changing audio stories, you'll like our episode Radio and Beyond from 2017. Producer Gina McEwen shares her experiences making projects that bring together audio and digital storytelling in really cool ways. It's not really separate, if that makes sense. Like digital and audio aren't really separate. They're sort of becoming the same thing now. So it's always thinking about as well how it's going to appear wherever your audience is. So think about how your audience is going to get your content as well. Want to keep in touch? Sign up for our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au and find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We're at Audiocraft Fest. Audiocraft.